This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the It's All About Experience Management podcast, where guests from around the world share with you strategies and easy-to-implement ideas for improving the experience and transforming your business. Your host, Jason S. Bradshaw, has spent decades helping leaders like you and organizations across the world improve the experience and grow their businesses. Now, over to Jason and this week's guest. Hey everyone, welcome to It's All About Experience Management with me, your host, Jason S. Bradshaw, and it's so great to have you with us for this episode. Joining us today is Michelle Falcon, restaurant entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author. I've been a massive fan of his work for many years. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Jason S. Bradshaw. It's very Esquire-like. I wish I could introduce myself this way. How I usually have to introduce myself is by correcting people when they call me Michael. So I'd much rather be in your situation, but thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, well, the S is for SEO purposes and to make sure people end up at my site and not at, uh, at a real estate site. Uh, but enough about me. Uh, restaurant entrepreneur, keynote speaker and author. I know that uh, back in the day you also worked for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Mm-hmm. Can you share with the audience a little bit of your background, please? Well, I was in business school, uh, not doing all too well. I don't say that proudly. It's just a matter of fact. I'm, I'm not an academic, and I don't learn that way. Um, that's just my characteristic. So I thought, there's got to be another way. Um, and there was. I lived in Vancouver, Canada at the time. Uh, there was two popular companies to work uh, for at the time in Vancouver. Still is, actually. Uh, Lululemon, the apparel company I'm certain many people have heard about, and then a more obscure company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and if they operate throughout um, North America and Australia, uh, great, great entrepreneurial success story, uh, maybe doesn't have the cachet as Lululemon and being retail and athletic, but uh, at the time they were voted the best uh, workplace uh, in Canada. And I asked myself if I'm looking to learn about entrepreneurship, um, one day start my own business, wouldn't it be nice to learn and get paid to do so? So I joined, I interviewed at both, got offers from both, but I chose 1-800-GOT-JOCK. I felt like it was um, you know, more culture focused at the time and uh, was there for five years, uh, worked, worked really hard. Um, you know, back then, Maybe it still lends itself to myself now, but back then I was really like a wide-eyed young professional, um, just overturning every stone that came across my path. And lo and behold, I overturned a few of them and found things that I really liked. And underneath those stones were company culture, customer experience, and leadership. So I honed in on those things. And now this is 2007, Jason. Company culture wasn't, you know, customer experience management wasn't what it was today. It was emerging, but not yet a subject that uh, receives the budgets it it does today. And I would argue that uh, digital marketing and PR get uh, the lion's share of the budget in comparison to culture and uh, customer experience. But I said, that's going to be my thing. And... You know, I started my blog, michellefalcon.com, in two th- February 2008, and 
other than my mom visiting the blog, maybe like two other visitors. But I just blogged and blogged and blogged every single week, multiple times a week. And eventually you train the, the SEO monster that is Google. And I started ranking for some keywords and built a personal brand around these subjects. Um, you know, I, and then 2012, I said, I wonder if people would pay me to tell them what I know. And I guess that was the world of consulting. And it was interesting, a, a recognizable consulting uh, agency. Um, they're one of the more recognizable ones. Um, I guess one of their partners uh, in Chicago read one of my blog posts and we got talking to each other and essentially offered me a job. And I was like, I, I don't have a degree. Like, I don't have, like, I, I don't like wearing suits. I don't like, this isn't my world. Um, but he had said something like, you know a lot about a topic that we're honing in on. Um, I didn't want to join another company. I wanted to do my own thing. So I started consulting for some small companies in Vancouver. And then those companies started to get bigger. Um, you know, Verizon Wireless, Electronic Arts, um, some pretty big companies. Um, and then 2016 happened and I got a phone call from a hospitality company in Toronto. And this is where I segue into restaurants, an industry I did not have experience in, although my father did uh, own a restaurant uh, when I was in high school. And uh, they asked me to come consult for them on the subjects again of company culture, customer experience, and leadership. And three months engagement turned into six months, turned into do you want to buy in and be a partner? And uh, that brought me to 2019. And then I was getting ready to start my own project, which is called Brass of Peruvian Kitchen. And uh, February 11th, 2020, I hosted uh, a, a friends and family seed round uh, presentation. I raised the money I needed to in like in 30 minutes, which I was really shocked by. And then the pandemic said, hey, kid, <laughs> maybe not kid, because I'm now in my 30s. Um, the pandemic says, you're not starting anything. <laughs> you're going to wait. And, you know, here we are today. And... We're opening our fourth location in 17 months, um, corporate stores in Toronto, um, all during the pandemic. Um, and, and that's good growth. We got a fifth one coming and then the sixth one in Manhattan next year. But the, here's, here's the thing that makes me um, content with uh, my personal development, is I've always stayed true to my messaging. Um, you know, whether it was the book I wrote in 2018 called People First Culture or how I behave in uh, my leadership position that I have with my newest company, um, it is very much putting our people first so that our guests get the greatest experience that they've seen in the market. Um, and it, it pays, Jason. Like, our net promoter score at all locations on average is above 70. Our industry is at 25. Our employee retention, our employee uh, turnover rate, is only thirty-five percent year over year, and that's cumulative of voluntary and involuntary turnover. So people that left on good terms and ones that maybe got fired, but it's still thirty-five percent. Where our industry is experiencing one hundred to one hundred twenty-five percent turnover, and here's the rub: we're in twenty percent net margins in an industry that would like to do twelve. 
So often I'm asked, how do you make the business case for a budget for this? Well, you got to show what it does to the bottom line for most individuals. For me, people like you and I, and I'm sure many people listening, it's enough for us because it's the right thing to do. Mm. We have the ability to think long term. But there's always going to be somebody in the room that is a bit cynical to things that don't show up on a P&L uh, or are not immediate. But in short, I just uh, recapped, I don't know how many years, maybe 13 years, 14 years. Um, remember, I'm, I'm not an academic, and that applies to simple mathematics. Um, but I, I really like what I do. I really do. And, um, you know, a lot of people tell me, like, why did you get into the fast casual restaurant industry? where nickels and dimes are what we count. Um, I generally love building people-driven businesses and I have no intention in build, replacing my people with robots in my restaurants. I think it's such an interesting journey and I can remember when you were sharing in 2020 that you were looking at starting this new venture. I'm sitting at home in lockdown in Australia going, Oh, that's a brave man there. But I knew that you were going to do it because of of the work that I've seen you deliver over the years. Let's start by talking a little bit about your book. Your, your book, People First Culture, Building a Lasting Company by Shifting Your Focus from Profits to People. Um, it's one that I carry everywhere because I, bought, I have the Kindle edition and I've recommended it to so many people. But if Thank our you. audience members aren't familiar with the book, what would be the three key takeaways or three lessons in, in your book? Well, um, there's a lot of strategic initiatives in, in the book. Uh, I take pride in being an operator. Um, you know, there's some theory to help understand the concepts of what we are trying to embed into the DNA of our company. But for me, it's things that you can read on page 57 to say, hey, I could actually do that, right? Um, and here's an example from somebody who's doing it. Um, so that's one thing, is I wanted to make sure that the book had key takeaways for individuals, like my $20, in, uh, $20 interview question to find exceptional people is one thing that people can read in the book and say, I could actually start doing that tomorrow. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the, the second is you'll notice the book is so slanted toward the employee experience. And you and I, and, and, and the individuals listening, we know this to be true. Um, and quite frankly, any individual that is committed to what we're discussing today, I think has an extraordinary uh, competitive advantage um, for any field or industry that they might be in because there are so few people in our you know, industries, regardless of which industry, that are quote-unquote experts um, in these fields. So, uh, you know, as time progresses, you know, those coveted C-suite positions, you're going to start seeing individuals like the chief people officer and the chief uh, experience officer and so forth. So, um, it's very slanted toward the employee experience. I have an 80-20 rule. It's just a personal rule. I spend 80% of my time focused on the employee um, experience and 20% on the guest experience. And that would even show on our quarterly strategic plan for my restaurant uh, company, Brasa. Um, you'll see that it's slanted toward investment for strategic initiatives to continuously improve the employee experience. 
Um, so you'll notice that in the book. And then the third, uh, the third takeaway is whatever industry you're in, forget about it. If you're trying to reinvent something, do not look in your industry. Um, I, uh, the book, I read this book after I published mine, so I didn't reference it in my book, but one that had just was so paradigm shifting for me was uh, Reed Hastings, the co-founder, no, the founder and the co-founder and former CEO of Netflix. I penned a uh, book, authored a book with, uh, I'm forgetting the woman's name, but she's a, a professor and, and I really enjoyed her writing. Um, and the book's called No Rules Rules, as in like, not having rules in your company is great. And you know, it's a catchy title. Um, but the things that I learned from this book, such as something like called talent density, which I can unpack in a moment, um, allowed me to look at my industry and say, can we learn from this multi-billion dollar technology company and apply some of these lessons into a startup? And I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can. Part of the reason that Brasso Peruvian Kitchen has such low turnover is because of that lesson of talent density. So when you, in the book, I share examples from many different industries. I'm not just a restaurant person, right? Like I love learning from really any industry. Um, there's a credit union. So in finance in, in California that I absolutely love called CBC Federal Credit Union doesn't have the brand awareness of a Verizon Wireless or JP Morgan Chase, does it? It doesn't matter to me. So um, spend more time focused on industries that are not even the same orbit as yours. So what do you mean by talent density? Pay people more, have less people. So easier said than done. What if you're the company that is, you know, been operating for 50 years, can you just go completely change your uh, wage budgets? Would require some surgery to your business and you'd have to be a tactician to do it. I think it could be done though. When I went, and, and I can talk in cogs here, uh, it doesn't matter about uh, my industry, but to use my industry as an example, being hospitality. When somebody's trying to figure out the price of a product in my industry, they will say, well, what's the cost of goods sold? What does this lettuce cost? What does this chicken cost? Right? Okay, what's the price elasticity or what will the market allow me to pay? What does competitors pay? So there's a competitor analysis and the market analysis. That's the second tranche. The third tranche is, let me make a profit. Well, and then you arrive to your price. They have forgotten the most important part. What do I want to pay my people? That's the first thing you should be thinking about. Because everybody says, Jason, we're a you know people first company. Okay, but you pay them awfully. Would you want your daughter to work here? Earning minimum wage? No. But you know, I won't finish because I you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes. um, so talent density. I said, I want to pay my people the most because it is the right thing to do. 
I do want to be an advocate of everyday people. Why? Because it's the right thing to do, but also my parents were everyday people. I came from a very working class family. And, you know, I think working class has replaced the word, uh, the phrase of um, lower class, right? But whatever, missing words here. I want to build a company where my parents would have been the forefront of the organization. That's the first step. The second is, yeah, it's a massive recruiting tool. We have 150 people on average apply to work with us for every, uh, every week. And yet, at least in North America, people have been saying, there's a labor shortage, there's a labor shortage. People don't want to work anymore. There's a shortage of inspiring companies and great news. If we really want to call it what it is, that is the problem. You're telling me, like I live in Toronto right now, fourth largest city in North America. You're telling me people don't want to work? Get out of here. Won't believe that for one second. I think you're having a little bit of it. The individual saying that is having a little bit of an issue with some self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, but talent density, you know, pay people more, have less people. Now, when you have this culture of high performance, Jason, I need to have a leg to stand on. Right? I need to be able to confidently go to my team and you know, if I had to, I would say I pay you more than the industry. You have full benefits for you and your family. There's learning and development opportunities here and growth. I can stand on multiple legs. Mm. Now that team member has to meet me halfway. Mm. You don't call in sick when you're not sick. Right? You work just as hard as that next person because we're trying to be like the Cirque du Soleil. You know how people reference, um, we're like a family. Hmm. Or you know, Netflix refers to themselves as a professional, a championship winning sports team. I like that one. But then it dawned on me, I want to build a company, a team, with such density like the Cirque du Soleil. Because if one person does not bring their A game one evening for one performance, there will be you know, a dysfunctional team which could lead to chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the other thing, Jason. If I got somebody, if, if I asked a Los Angeles Lakers fan, tell me the starting five of the Los Angeles Lakers this year, this person would be able to say, one, two, three, four, five, boom, these are the five. If I said, Name five people from the Cirque du Soleil right now. They're nameless. And that's what great team members, teams should do. They should be nameless. You know the team Cirque du Soleil, who cares about the individual? Mm-hmm. And that, that extends to me, Jason. Um, I don't care if people know who I am. Guess what? Today, um, I'm, I'm happy to say I got a notification just five minutes before jumping on with you. We had a record sales day at one of our stores. Guess who didn't do the work? Me. I wasn't there serving my customers. My customers don't care who I am. They, they care about Vanessa and John and Paige and Janu and the people that were working at that store. Mm-hmm. I think we were talking about talent density. You got you to gotta rein me in when I start going down the path. I like this stuff. <laughs> I, I absolutely love the passion. And one of the reasons why I so easily recommend your book to people is because you just you didn't spend two years doing surveys and interviewing you spent the time actually doing the work proving it out and writing a book that if if you put it down and you don't start making a difference for the people in your organization then you've 
just wasted your time reading the book, quite frankly, because there's, you don't need years, you don't need big budgets to start. And that's one of the best things about your book is there's half a dozen things you could do tomorrow uh, or start today just after reading your book. So I, I absolutely love it. There's a section in, in your book where you face the harsh reality that many people in corporates, especially, have to go and deal with a chief financial officer and convince them to spending money on some this thing that sometimes is referred to as the soft stuff actually <laughs> is the right thing to do. Now, we don't need to go into the details of it, but you, you prove out in, into the book that it is quite profitable to be people first. It's not, it's not the way down the rabbit hole of not making money. It's actually, in fact, the way to get yourself out of the hole and to make profit. And I think you're proving that right now in, the, in your restaurant, right? That, that being people first, paying, paying above industry wage, giving them a better working environment, it, it, providing learning opportunities, all the benefits, all the great things that you do for your team members that, as you say, is also actually just the right thing to do. And you're still profitable. In fact, you're outpacing the, the market. Yeah, and, and let's bring some attention to something. I don't have to report to the street. I'm not publicly traded. However, let's use Amazon as an example. I know not the greatest company in some respects to be talking about some subjects. However, um, they uh, their slogan used to be Earth's most customer-centric company. And yeah, they weren't profitable for ages, but they were reinvesting into better experiences. Now, we hope that experiences uh, extend to the employee, but let's just focus on the customer for now. You know, uh, Jeff Bezos famously says, uh, you have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time. So this investment we're going to make right now, the ROI is seven years away, four years away, three years away. I can share something that I'm going, doing in Q1 of next year, which I'm thankful that I'm not publicly traded and I can do things like this very easily and that my investors allow me to. But Jason, let's say you're applying to be a team member uh, in some, uh, so working within our source. Um, in an ordinary company, they're gonna say, deliver white glove service, Jason. Right. You know, give them that five star experience. Well, Jason's never been to a fine dining restaurant. Jason's never stayed at the Ritz Carlton. How the heck is he supposed to connect the dots? So starting in Q1 of next year, any team member that joins us within their first week, we're booking them a one night stay at a Ritz Carlton. That's going to cost us if I can negotiate hard with the Ritz Carlton, maybe 750 Canadian dollars. Um, but then they're gonna see what that looks like. Do I, and if we hire 30 people a year, let's do the math on that. That's real money leaving our account. But then what would that do to our employee retention rate? What would that do to efficiency in the store? Are a couple people going to quit 30 days after staying? For sure. But I'm also going to cross the street tomorrow and there might be a chance I get hit by a car. Am I not going to cross the street because somebody got hit by a car on that crosswalk one time? Um, I like betting on humanity. I trust by default. And if somebody 
you know, isn't gracious and takes advantage of me and my quote-unquote policies, progressive policies, go ahead. I'm not changing who I am. You have to live with yourself that you took advantage of us. Go try to find somewhere better, by all means. If you find somewhere better, come back and tell me. I might actually join you. <laughs> I, it's phenomenal investment, and what better way to ensure that it, your team members actually understand what you're trying to achieve than getting them to experience hospitality but delivered through a different vehicle and arguably one of the world's most recognisable luxury five-star brands, right? I, I, don't, I don't think anyone could argue that Ritz-Carlton don't get it right. <laughs> that you're investing in that is phenomenal. Now, I'm privileged. I've, I've been following you and connected with you for, for many years. I, I see all of your posts on LinkedIn. Um, we could probably do a podcast episode about every single one, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. For those that uh, don't know, you also have your own podcast. We'll have the link to your podcast in the show notes. But uh, recently in a podcast, uh, you said you shared with your audience uh, that you have an unusual interview question to learn if the candidate is honest. Now, I'd love for you to share that with us, but why I'm asking what that is, is you, know, you can invest in sending people to the Ritz-Carlton in week one. You can invest in and take the gamble in humanity, as you say, when you put the effort into selecting the right people to start with. You're, you're not just saying, I have five vacancies, yeah. the first five people to turn up have the no. job, right? Oh, so, no. so, so it does come down to that selection, that recruitment process. Now, what is this unusual interview question that you ask candidates? So there's a couple, and I think you're talking about this one. I, I, I have a hard time remembering the podcast I record. I shoot and I ship it. Um, I think it's this one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what is an, uh, an unbecoming quality that I'm going to learn about you within three months? Is it that one? It is not that one, but let's go with it in a way. Sure. And then remind me what the other one is. Um, so this is it. Like You hit the nail on its head. I don't just hire anybody that breathes, right? Or you got a pulse, you're hired. Um, that's how some companies hire. Or, or the best is, when can you start? The first and only question. Um, so we ask a bunch of questions, one of which is, tell me who you are. Enough of this, you know, maybe you practice for this interview, I want you to tell me, what is the unbecoming quality I'm gonna learn about you within three months? Let me answer first. Right, I don't do our hiring anymore. Uh, um, a phenomenal person named Laura does it, but I coach her. Um, and we will always answer first. This is the thing I'm working on. And you know what? If you see this kind of wart or this blemish of mine, just know I'm working on it, but I told you about it, right? Um, so this is um, how we get some people to be super honest. Now, if somebody says, like, I have a very bad temper, okay. If somebody says something like, you know, the ones I don't like is I work too hard. Like, Meh, all right, but I've heard this one before. But, <laughs> you know, just being super open and honest. And it remind where this stems from is I'm in, engaged. At, uh, we're filming this in November. Oh, today's Halloween, October 31st, 2022. I have been with my fiance for six years. And like on our second date, I said, I was 30 at the time. 
And I said, you know what? I've, I've got no time to waste. I don't want to wait. Here's time. I don't want to make some money. On the second day, I just laid it all out on the table. Like, this is who I am, right? If you still want to see me a third time, by all means. So this is the what I've taken into the business. Because guess what? It's not business. It's not personal relationship. The commonality is human behavior. Imagine if I came... And I put in my put on my CEO shoes to go to work, and then I took off my CEO shoes and I put on my Michelle Falcon shoes. Wouldn't that be psychotic? No, we have to be the same people mm-hmm. everywhere. So why can't we use the same experiences we have in our personal lives, the strongest relationships we have in our lives with family, with friends, with spouses, uh, and try to find some commonality um, in the workplace? And, what was the unusual question? You're, you're, it's killing me. <laughs> well, actually, based on your answer just then, it's exactly, it, it's the same question. You just phrased it differently today. Oh, okay. Phenomenal. <laughs> so, so, I was about to say, I don't even know my own stuff. And it's embarrassing. <laughs> so so on, on the show notes uh, for your podcast, you said, what are your most unbecoming qualities that I'm going to learn about you within one to three months. So, okay, got it. So, you just, same question, slightly slightly different wording. I, I love the point that you make that people bring their whole self, you would hope, their whole self to work, which means that they can't just leave the dramas of home, can't leave their bad personality traits at the door. They're, they're, to get the most out of your people, to get the best loyalty, the best results, the best of everything, you need to let them be them. Right, a hundred percent. And you know, if you hiring is like asking somebody to be responsible for hiring is a big ask. You're asking them to be a phenomenal judge of character, and guess what? A lot of people are not a good judge of character. Um, so with my business, we have five locations. We plan to get to a hundred and beyond. That uh, our store managers don't even do any of the hiring. We've um, We've uh, segmented that and centralized it at head office. Let's let the experts be the experts. Mm -hmm. Let's just not hand off responsibilities that are so either uplift or bring our businesses down with people that might not be experts in it. This is why we have something called the SMEs, subject matter experts, or SBAs, single points of accountability. I want Michael Jordan shooting the ball. Yeah, I don't want him playing baseball. Makes perfect sense. Now, can you remind the audience the name of the restaurant and where are you located at the moment, please? Uh, it's Brasa, B-R-A-S-A, Peruvian, because I am uh, Canadian Peruvian. Uh, kitchen, Brasa Peruvian Kitchen. Uh, we're only a Google search away. Um, we are based in Toronto, uh, have our eyes set in the U.S. market, first starting in Manhattan. Um, and I love this business. I, I really, really like it. Um, I'd be lying to you, Jason, if it doesn't feel like sometimes I'm being stepped on by elephants. Um, but there are better days than bad days. And uh, it has me very motivated. And I have a blank canvas right now. And I really like creating the art. Well, I can assure you the next time I'm in Toronto, I will be visiting your restaurant and enjoying your fine food. Now, I've been telling people to follow you for years what is the best way for people to connect you with you and stay in connection with your work wherever you like so i am i'm a little bit of everywhere um 
and my parents have blessed and cursed me with this name. They've blessed me because I'm easy to find. Uh, they've cursed me because half the world calls me Michael. Um, so it's M-I-C-H-E-L. There's no A in there. And Falcon like the bird. I think there's only one of me. Um, and uh, so just go to Google, LinkedIn, Instagram, email me, m at brassaproven.com. And if you come to the restaurant, give me feedback. Give it to me hard. I have thick skin. Um, I love I love getting feedback to my ever dismay because my our net promoter score comes to my phone. And uh, I've never had anything um, change my mood faster than a notification from NPS. <laughs> and thankfully, our NPS is really good. Uh, but of course, it's not the score itself, but rather the comments that... This is true. I get the comments. I get the comments. And my fiance asked, like, when are you going to unhook this? And I said, give me at least one more year. <laughs> uh, well, Michelle, what's one thing our audience should do as soon as they finish listening to this episode of the show to help improve the experience they deliver for their customers or for their employees? Um, look at your P&L. Show me your P&L and I'll tell you what matters to you the most. If you have very little line items for your culture and your customer experience, somebody in your organization doesn't care enough. And I commend you for pushing forward and trying to get the budget that you need and the resources. And if you can't get it, perhaps there's another place for you. A better organization, maybe not better, a different organization that maybe will see what you see. And go try to find that company. Because if you believe in what Jason and I believe in, you are a good person who believes in the right things. And, and there's a great environment for you. Or maybe you start your own thing, which would be kind of cool. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure and a great honor of mine to catch up with you today. Jason, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. And don't forget to check out any bonus content mentioned in today's episode at allaboutxm.com. You can find more information about Jason at jasonsbradshaw.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.